Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. I'm in the office here today with my friend Elliot Pence. He is the head of international at Anduril. We're going to talk today about going international. Thanks for coming to the show. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Um, so, I mean, I know your story, but maybe tell the audience or the listeners your background, your backstory. Sure. Um, we'd love to hear it. So, um, grew up in Canada. Uh, came down to the States uh, about 15 years ago to do grad school. Um, ran one failed startup called Upstream Analytics, uh, which you kind of know about. Um, it was kind of focused on getting, it was like the new version of CB radio, basically, for truckers. Um, then did consulting for almost a decade, a firm called McClarty Associates, was focused on helping investors invest in Africa. Uh, and then last year joined Endural to, yeah, build out their international uh, presence. And, um, you know, tell us uh, the backstory with Endural. What's, uh, how sure. did you get there? How did you kind of start? Sure. So I knew Endural um, from my time as a consultant. Um, I had worked with um, a guy named Matt Steckman, who now runs uh, Global Corporate Affairs at, at Endural. Um, and, uh, you know, that was last year. They were still sort of young. It's a two-and-a-half-year-old company. Um, They're looking at kind of wanting to bring on, for lack of a better term, like utility infielders, people that could do you know, international, domestic, um, could do business, could also do government relations. Um, and I was at a point where, you know, consulting just wasn't, um, wasn't interesting me anymore. You sort of never see the beginning of things and you never see the end of things. So I wanted to grow something. And uh, the team at Endro was awesome. I mean, they had success in the past. They were sure. super talented. And, you know, the leadership really wanted to disrupt uh, the defense industry. And I thought that was exciting. So. Cool. And, um, uh, well, I, I kind of uh, alluded to this earlier, but what does the name mean again? Give me the uh, backstory. <laughs> yeah, so the backstory is, um, so Peter Thiel-backed companies have this sort of interest and infatuation. Lord, of the, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, right. So it is the sword that Aragon uses to defend the West uh, okay. against the Eye of Sauron. So um, that... That is the, that's the story. If you look it up on the internet, you'll see pictures of, in fact, we have a Underill sword oh, in wow. our office. Really? Couple, in fact. Yeah. Now, uh, very well-known founder came up with this uh, name in advance of the investment or collective? I think it was a collective effort. Um, it, All right. It a, a melding of the minds. Um, and, and just give us a quick, what's, what, what is the company working on? What do you guys sure. do? I mean, a lot of people have heard of it, but may yeah. not know the details. Sure. So we do sort of three things, and I'll, I'll be sort of explicit in, in how I ex explain them. So sensor fusion, artificial intelligence, and machine learning, and with the side of, say, autonomous machines. So... In practice, we build hardware, so towers, drones, ground sensors that have sensor payloads on them. So we pick up sort of radar hits, uh, camera feeds, and then we fuse them to, you know, develop a picture for an operator that they wouldn't otherwise be able to get on their own. So it's sort of making an operator, um, you know, like Tony Stark. Sure. And how, how many people, so you're in, you're in DC. 
Yeah. What's like, you give us just like size of the company, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so we have about 150 people now. Um, we've got 10 in DC, 130 to 40 engineers in Irvine. We're based out in Irvine. Um, it's a great place. It is a great place. Um, great weather, but rapidly growing. Um, cool. So. Um, last question for our introduction. I always ask this. What is one thing that no one on this podcast is going to know about you? Uh, yeah, I run a company uh, that sends bits of advice to expecting fathers called Doodla. Doodla. Yeah. How do we spell it? D u d e l a. Love it. Us. Quick plug. There you go. Good weave of the uh, <laughs> fun fact about you. Um, all right, this is the Startup Sales Podcast. We are talking about going international. Um, you know, we've talked about this a little bit on our podcast gentlemen uh from trip actions rich and oj from dropbox talked a bit about it before it's mostly been around the team side and kind of like quickly scaling i think we're going to do it another riff on it here um maybe just narrow on you're interviewing for this job you just get started kind of how do you think about moving outside of the u.s business um yeah. people can kind of read about your presence in the states and what you've done there but sure. um and then and then of course, you, uh, you know, because you're a secretive DC guy, you didn't give much about your background. So maybe just expand <laughs> upon, you know, you've spent a lot of time in Africa, you spent a lot of time in, in Europe and, sure. and regions. So how that, that yeah. has played out. Sure. So, I mean, as I was kind of onboarding, um, it was clear to me there's sort of two pieces that um, Underall was going to need to think about as they expanded internationally. One was... Just like, where's the product going to be useful? Um, sure. Is, where's the problem we're going to be able to solve? Are there resources that um, can be applied to it? And who's kind of going to be the champion? Um, and then uh, to consider kind of the operational footprint. Um, you know, we're a hardware company and a software company. But to get the hardware in the field, you really have to have a sense of, you know, just logistics it's it's an intensive business and you don't want to get over your head in kind of promising things too quickly beyond the product cycle so we really focused um, initially on the day in the early days of where's the product useful right now who are the partners that we could expand to uh, and then how can we build the overlay of operational support on top of that as a like one-year-old startup which is you know no no easy feat. Sure. And when you're when you're kind of thinking about that, maybe even more narrow, was it like geographic yeah, basis? Exactly. What's the like what were some of the tactics? Yeah, so I mean quite literally so the first product we developed was this sentry tower that um, basically spins around, it's got a radar and camera, and it picks up any movement in, you know, a ten kilometer radius. Sure. Um, and we were optimized for arid, semi arid of location so we basically just identified where the earth looks like that uh, and then identified partners that were operating in those places and said okay well let's make this the first focus and then as we built in new products like the drone that we developed ghost it allowed us to look at places that didn't necessarily you know they were tropical or had different kind of topographical features so it was very much a product-led expansion um, uh, from the start and how did you think about um, 
like were there any changes or thoughts around pricing around you know you talk about this kind of yeah go to market combining hardware and software so it's a bit more tricky than a, a standard like let's just set up a london office and yeah. you know sell internationally absolutely i mean pricing in particular um what we're trying to do is change the way security and defense um, operators both apply the technology they've been given, but procure it as well. And so um, it's really a conversation that you have to have with the operator and buyer. You're, ba you're basically educating the market at the same time you're selling into it. So pricing has evolved you know, every month based on that. In addition, the, the additional layer to that is we don't really sell anything. We provide a, it's a subscription product. Right. Um, and it's a subscription product because the tech changes literally every week. So it's hard to provide, you know, hard and fast pricing, nor do we think it's a good idea for the buyer to buy things that could change in, you know, a month or two or something like that. So it's a long way of saying it's a continuous process, the updating, pricing, basically. And then you kind of, well, actually, where there, I'm, I'm kind of running through the checklist of items you need to get right. We're talking a bit about pricing. We're talking a bit about um, geographic considerations. You have this hardware versus software, yeah. you know, um, consideration in terms of delivery and implementation. Was there anything else that you thought about when you kind of first joined? Um, as yeah, it I mean, that? I think one of the main things that I wanted to get right was, was the leadership committed to expanding this company abroad? I mean, the the sort of elephant in the room was that DOD is a massive partner. Yeah. It's got nearly a trillion dollar budget. So it didn't logically make sense for us to pursue opportunities abroad unless there was a compelling reason for it. Hmm. And, you know, the leadership had, had comes out of Oculus and Palantir and they had had experiences abroad and were passionate about applying the tech abroad because, um, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do is make security and defense more, um, accessible and essentially cheaper. Sure. And so a lot of the clients were abroad. Um, the, the US, if we just focused on the US, that would skew our pricing structure so much. We wanted to, you know, for lack of a better term, keep it real um, with other, other partners. So that was a big piece for me. Um, you know, being able to build a team uh, and having the right kinds of people join. Um, you know, there was awesome people there. I was excited about it. They had international experience. Yep. A lot of them were special operators in the military. So that was exciting and interesting and different. Um, so, yeah. It's interesting. Um, and you've, you've basically taught what, you know, again, we're, we're talking about moving international. You have another vector to this, I'm sure, which is the sales training component, which obviously an operator coming out of the military doesn't really know how to right. sell a product or service. So right. did you consider that component as you thought about international and kind of what, you know, because you got to get these people ramped on. You know, you're stuff. right. It's a really good point. And it was somewhat unique. There were a few former operators that um, understood the sales cycle and pricing process because they'd been buyers of this stuff. So oh, they I interfaced see. Sure. with vendors. Um, but I mean, I think everybody was sort of virgin at it from the start. When you're building a new industry and you're building a new pricing model, you're building a new tech, cap tech capability. It's like, where do you start with that? Well, yeah, I guess you start with the demand and like figure out how much, how valuable this is. What's the comparatives? What's the legacy tech um, looking like? Um, a lot of the challenge on pricing is unmooring the buyer from 
like the jungle of legacy tech that they've been buying literally not just for two years, but like for 50 years. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And how do you kind of talk them through why what they're doing is wrong in terms of pricing, um, quality, capability, et cetera. And then maybe the last piece of the checklist that, that I've heard is in some of these geographies you have, you know, you kind of mentioned legacy players, you have big international companies that have been doing business with these people forever. Sometimes you have local, a local vendor that's amazing. And, um, you know, did you, did you think a lot about unseating them and the competition and the threats and when yeah. you kind of weaved all this together? I mean, really the, one of the founding, um, philosophies of the company was to unseat some of the incumbents we felt we do and we continue to feel really passionately that you know the large primes were spending uh u.s and you know global taxpayer money on the wrong types of things so we knew it was going to be a big challenge but that's actually why we pursued it um sure. is you know to go right at them and we thought like if we could beat them on price and quality it was sort of a you know it's a how long can you stay around type of game? Yeah. Um, All right. So you do this checklist of items you've covered training, competition, pricing, all sorts of stuff. Um, what was kind of the tactics when you first, uh, concluded that was it, Hey, let me go to the, the team and say, look, this is, this is exactly how we're going to execute this internationally. Has that stayed the same? Has it evolved? Maybe just talk about the yeah. specifics. I mean, I, I, everybody kind of got in a room in early, um, I guess last year um, or late last year and said, okay, well, look, there's clearly demand for this abroad. How do we want to think about it? So it wasn't a question of, um, you know, how do we size the market or like these traditional questions. Um, it was more a, how can we build the ops support functions? How can we... Um, manage the regulatory dynamic, yep. so, you know, the export regulations, ITAR, all of those things. Um, given that we are a venture-backed entity, yeah. can we do that quickly enough? Um, and then you just hire around your weak points um, and being able to, to, to hire those folks very quickly. Um, I, I think the other, th I can't kind of um, not talk about uh, the hiring piece because so many of our users come from a very specific background, yep, the, yeah. the operator, you know, military background. And we really wanted to hire folks from that background and have made a, a good effort. You know, we've got probably 40 or so former military veterans. Um, but finding those individuals that um, understood the decision-making process, but were willing to work with a degree of, like a lack of, you know, very strict process. Yeah. You know, that continues to be like an ongoing debate of how do you find those people and how do you make them, you know, work in that system but still retain the knowledge of the other system that they're in. Do you guys have any, you know, this isn't a uh, sales hiring podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> is there any specific things that you've learned or, or um, <laughs> kind of tips or tricks that you've seen? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I use sort of three or four hacks. Um, okay. Early on, we were um, trying to figure out, okay, well, how do we make the decision to sell and where do we sell? And we just had this very simple Venn diagram that was like, we need to have a champion because what we're selling is super weird and different. Right. 
They need to have resources or to have access to resources. And there needs to be a problem for us to solve. If, if there is an opportunity in that matrix, then we're going to pursue it. And then, you know, subsequent to that, we need to figure out what's the size of the market and what's the speed at which they can make that decision. Um, I mean, I think this gets back, this is somewhat generic, it's not really a tactic, but the, you know, the map is not the terrain. The, the, whenever you're thinking about these markets, nobody, nobody really understands until they've been there. And yeah. getting leadership there as soon as you can to show them kind of the dynamics is really critical, even if it isn't a kind of specific pitch or closed meeting or what have you. Sure. Um, just to manage their expectations. All right, so we and and you have this meeting. You've got demand internationally. You've gone through all of these items. You know where did you where did you kind of end up? What were some of the the first moves? Yeah, and, you know how so, how did you kind of think about actually deploying so, this? So probably one of the first movers was the UK, um, and it kind of happened out of nowhere. We made a couple of visits, and um, there fiscal cycle ends kind of in early March yep. and we just happened to be passing through there. Um, had a great conversation. They wanted to, is that you're just saying that because you're a sales guy. <laughs> like you were actually there in March because <laughs> yeah, we're for other there. reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Right. <laughs> um, I might be here. Yeah. I'm in town today. Do you yeah, have time to meet? Right. Exactly. Right. Just happened to be here, right, right, here right. for three months. Um, uh, no. So they really wanted to move quickly, partially just because they're their own fiscal cycle. And, um, so the UK was the first sort of um, uh, place that we, we um, set up shops. So we've got a couple of people there now. Um, the Five Eyes are the natural sort of next partners. We're deployed with... What does that mean? Hold on. What does that mean? Sorry. The, um, so Canada, UK, Australia, New Zealand. So the partners that the DOD works with most. Oh, okay. Side. All right. Um, I thought you were talking about the... Uh, <laughs> Fast food chain called Five Guys. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be our fifth market. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so we've been focusing a lot on that. And in some sense, the selling sort of, take cares of takes care of itself because we are deployed with the U.S. military in, and partner forces see what they're using and then ask them, what is that? You know, can we get access to that? You know, in uh, places like Afghanistan, for yeah. example, we're... Uh, where folks are using it, and it's like, okay, well, let's have a conversation with the UK. Sure, sure. To do that. And and um, so that might uh, maybe it makes your job a little bit easier from the standpoint of selling into them because they're seeing this, yeah. you know, in the real world, right. and and they like it. It doesn't necessarily make your job any easier in terms of delivery and post close, right? Right. I mean, right. So it's. The U.S. is obviously a fantastic reference customer right. client for other companies, but yeah, operationally, it's this—it's no less challenging. I mean, um, for all the reasons, from how do you sync the software cycle with the hardware cycle? How do you get enough ops and tech support? Can you partner with, you know, a global tech support entity? But if you do that. Do you get the feedback loops from the customer? Like, there's all of these sort of tactical decisions that kind of have to be um, made immediately when you when you have an order from a foreign government. Yeah. Um, because they're also not they don't have a ton of tolerance for startups. Like, that's just not how they're built. Right. Right. Um, so you have to have. Um, 
So you, if I'm taking away one lesson beyond like you've got to get the checklist of items right in advance of launching internationally, you've also got to get this checklist of post-close items totally. dialed in. I mean, I is think that geographic specific? Like the UK is different from yeah, France is different from, okay. Without a doubt. I think that's actually 80% of the decision making is, um, you know, the, the is the client the right client? But can, you know, a company of 150 people support um, both the deployment of this product, but the scaling, presuming that, you know, it's useful. How do you actually provide the support going forward? Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're in the UK. Yeah. Have you, did you guys set up an office there or have staff it or how did We're you? We're in the it? process of doing that okay. um, at the moment. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're bringing out our first hire in what, three weeks and then another one after that and two months. Um, so that'll be the international has begun. The international. Has you are begun. going international. Yes, exactly. Um, outside of demand, how are you picking these other geographies, or is it just solely based on demand? I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it is basically based on inbound demand. Um, I can see. Uh, I mean, part of it is is also just us looking around the world and being like, "What's a very hard problem to solve? Can, right. can our current tech stack actually address that particular mm-hmm. issue?" Um, so I can v- totally see ourselves being in like four continents by the end of next year, um, just because there will be this like growth internally. The reference client is great, and there's a lot of problems that people need somewhat inexpensive, high-tech solutions for. Sure. Um, what and it, and are those mostly outbound? You know, hey, we think you have this problem. Come and yeah, talk no, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, so um, the, you know, the, I'll talk specifically about one. In Colombia, the challenge of how do you address new cocoa production, that's a huge human-oriented problem, or at least we've been solving, we've been trying to solve it through, like, helicopter flyovers uh, or having special forces down there. Computers and sensor fusion is a betch- much better way to solve that problem. So, yeah, I spoke with the... Columbia ambassador to the U.S. and said, look, I think there's an opportunity here for us to work with you. He was super excited about it. And now we're trying to figure out, okay, well, how do we get this you know, resourced? How do we get this? Well, yeah, it's a whole different. It's a different conversation yeah. after that. But are there any, cr- like the, use the U.K. as an example, yeah. are those vendors and service providers and support systems basically the same or 80% the same or it's just like totally different? So you have to, when you think about selling into these geographies, it's like we got to have a whole new thing. Yeah, I mean, in the UK, it's they're not the same, but they look the same. Okay. So we have enough like muscle memory to know, okay, well, that's going to work like this and this is going to work like that. Um, but, you know, in some of these other geographies, it's, yeah, it's the total opposite. Um, and how do you learn that? I mean, is it just advisors you lean on or what's the, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's a whole debate, a whole podcast you could have on how do you leverage advisors and consultants. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's first through the staff that you have, somebody's had experienced operating in whatever geography in Southeast Asia or what have you. Um, so you're relying on that. I turn to the embassies every once in a while, U.S. embassies. They're quite helpful for kind of background. Um, our investor network obviously has a lot of international sure. scope. Um, I mean, it's a bit like, you know, how bats fly. I mean, it's just like echolocation. You're, you're blind, you're in a cave, and you're kind of sending out signals and waiting for things to come back. And then over time, you just build, 
you kind of build a better picture of the environment sure. if you have enough confidence to make decisions. I like that reference. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um, That's probably the first time anybody's referenced bats. Yeah. No. Podcast. Yeah, I think so. I actually think so. Um, all right. So we've talked about the basics, the checklist. You guys are now moving into international waters, international geography, um, perhaps in multiple environments. We've talked a little bit about inbound as it graduates to outbound with this Columbia example. Um, maybe reverse the, the or ask you the kind of fail whale question. At McClarty, now, now obviously here, have you seen this fail? Uh, any tips, advice, thinking for people who kind of uh, yeah. are, are considering going international and what you think yeah, you can I, screw I, up? I mean, certainly at McClarty, um, I mean, there's probably four or five things I would mention that I've seen consistently with, with U.S. multinationals in particular. The first is this managing the leadership's expectations. Um, people have very strong opinions about international, um, and rarely is that based on, like, hard evidence. It's usually anecdotal, et cetera. Okay. So make sure that you engage with the, the sort of most senior leadership from the get-go. Uh, you know, managing the operational support. So obviously that's the case with, with you know, a hardware company, but operational support is no joke. I mean, we're scaling four companies at once, a hardware company, a software company, an ops company, and then like part of what my job is is like an advisory entity to yeah. governments. Yeah. Um, don't kind of go in and out. Um, you'll think that you can go to a conference or like fly in is that type of thing. You'll just exhaust yourself and you'll get frustrated. And, you know, uh, a friend of mine had a story where he was doing a deal in Cameroon and his trick was basically he would show up at the airport with no luggage and he would get the partner, a government partner to come and pick him up. And the partner would be like, well, where's your luggage? And he's like, well, I'm staying here. I've got a place here. And as soon as the partner <laughs> knew, like, oh, wait a minute, this guy's not flying in and out, he sort of saw him differently. Well, but basically, just to be clear, he did not have a place <laughs> in Cameroon. He did not have a place, yeah. Okay, all right. <laughs> and, you know, um, he had to get a suit made. Thankfully, yeah, uh, right. Good tailors there, so. Um, wait, and, and that worked? And it worked. You got the deal. Wow. I mean, it, okay. it took like nine months. Yeah, still, yeah. But it, you know, it changed. He was there the for mindset. nine months. The deal, the deal. He faked it out. Months, yeah, he, he faked, faked him out. Got enough. it. Yeah, I exactly. love it. <laughs> um, and yeah. you said, what was the fourth one? Uh, so the fourth one would be just be like, when you think about international, it's functionally speaking, it's starting another company. Right, right. Um, it's not like extending your existing, because you're going to have to make executive level decisions. The person there needs to be, you know, endowed with the decision making necessary to do it because again the map is not the terrain like he's living that every day or she's living it every day and they need to be able to make decisions on the fly um, so like when you're signing a document if the party says oh wait we we need not just your signature but like your corporate stamp or some nonsense like that which has happened to me they have to be able to go out and get it and like yeah. deal with it and have you know all that uh, kind of the power to do that type of thing. Sure. And then, and then um, maybe just distill your successes down to ask the kind of opposite of that question. I mean, you've been doing this for 10 plus years now and operating in some of these geographies. Um, yeah. Some of them are quite gnarly. Yeah. What, what have you seen 
success look like? And maybe don't just re- regurgitate what you, know, you said here as the failures. <laughs> uh, I can't just say the opposite. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean, so the first thing is you just have to have persistence. And the way that you have persistence is you have to be actually curious about the market and the people and the country and expanding the company. So I know that's a generic point, but it's actually a really important one because you will be exhausted over time. Um, you know, this is this is also somewhat philosophical or, or general, but um, often in these markets, you're presented with scenarios that just don't make sense, um, and you have to have enough faith that the goal or the objective or the vision uh, is a worthwhile time, and just putting one step ahead of the next is, you know, I think it's a sort of a discounted uh, capability. It's really important. Um, John Keats calls this uh, negative capability, the ability to go forward without sort of, you know, having un- like a confusion or lack of clarity, et cetera. Those, those sorts of people are really critical um, in interna- international expansion. Um, gosh, I mean, this is a whole other two-hour conversation, I suppose. Um, I'll, maybe I'll leave it at that. And Who... I'm always fascinated by mentors and mm. people who've kind of helped you along your journey. Are there any, you know, you have these great successes. You've talked a little bit about the failures or things that you've seen not succeed. Yeah. Who who has kind of helped you along this journey? Well, I've been really fortunate to have, um, you know, impressive uh, mentors. So John Agriponti, who brought me into um, uh, McClarty Associates, has been, I've known for almost a decade now. He was... You know, a five-time ambassador, uh, director of national intelligence, Mac McClarty, the founder of McClarty Associates, Clinton's uh, first chief of staff, a guy named Thierry Doe, who founded Meridium Infrastructure. It's the largest um, kind of infrastructure investor in Africa. He's been a, a close mentor of mine. Uh, a guy named Chris Rogers, um, so the founder of Nextel, who grew that out across Latin America, Middle East. Um, what did they teach you? What were some of the, you know, when you think yeah, about no. this concept? So I guess if, uh, let me give you like e- a word for each. Okay. So Mac was grace. He's incredibly polite and his focus on like the dignity of somebody else is, you know, really important. A lot of emerging markets. Um, John, be loyalty, basically. Um, Thierry would be to stay the course. I mean, he's he's running an infrastructure fund, so he has to stay the course, yeah. but... Long, long, long sales cycle. Long sales yeah. cycle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and Chris is, is like pure tactics and how to think about different commercial scenarios. So they sort of complementary in that in that way. Um, and you still rely on most of these totally, mentors to help you. Yeah, um, absolutely. I'd add Joe Clark as well, the former prime minister of, um, of Canada. He's on the board of Meridium. And I mean, the way he... What's like, his word? Uh, <laughs> Sorry to put intel- you on the spot. Intelligence. Intelligence, yeah. okay. Yeah, I think he's just... In, well, intelligence and thoughtfulness. Okay, all right. Yeah. They can go hand in hand. Yes. You were going to say something else about him, though. Well, he, I mean, he was just such a... Um, he, he's probably the least well-known Canadian prime minister of the last sort of 50 years, but most capable Canadian statesman in the last... 50 years as well. Okay. So you've um, got to do something to do that, to get that, I guess. Sure. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground. We're at, I think, 
uh, 30 minutes at this point. Any final tips, tricks, thoughts, pieces of advice? Um, you know, I'll include a little bit more about uh, Andrew on the podcast. We'll also include your uh, plug for your uh, yeah, father Doodla. company, Doodla. <laughs> um, but but any you know, kind of kind of the crystallization of of this topic and and yeah. some final thoughts. Well, so from my perspective, every U.S. in particular company has to be international. Seventy percent of global growth is coming from emerging markets. Yep, um, there is. A tremendous amount of uncertainty um, in those markets. So you both have to go there because there's a, a market uh, and demand, but you also have to go there because the companies that come out of those markets, I think, will define how business is done in the future. So you better start learning about the culture and the organization and institutions now rather than later. Cool. Elliot, thank you for coming on to the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me.